Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 23. This morning, I think God has a specific assignment for us from that passage. I don't know what's more exciting, the fact that we get to engage God's Word or the fact that God's Word gets to engage us this morning. All I know is that either way, it's a win in our favor. So I'm always excited to have the opportunity to stand here and engage God's Word with you on a Sunday morning, church. It's Father's Day, so it seems fitting that we're going to be visiting what I think is quite possibly the most manly passage that is found in all of Scripture. And you may already be thinking, okay, here we go. How cliche, here comes another one of those fatherly messages on Father's Day. But let me say this, I wouldn't be speaking what I'm about to had it not been shown to me as being needed. And I don't want to just speak to the fathers in the room this morning, but to all men, young and old. And I don't want to just speak to the men, but to you women as well, as you have a huge role to play in what it is that I feel God has placed upon my heart to share this morning. So let's get right to it. 2 Samuel chapter 23, we're going to start in verse 8. And God's word says, these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb, Bashebeth, a Tashemanite. He was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800, whom he killed at one time. And next to him among the three mighty men was Eleazar, the son of Dodo. Actually, I got a name for our next son if we were to have one. <laughs> Just think about it. Son of Ahohai. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary. And his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the men returned after him only to strip the slain. And next to him was Shema, the son of Aji, the Hararite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the men fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it, and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. And three of the thirty chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was in the stronghold and the, garrison, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me a water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well by Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zerui, was chief of the thirty, and he wielded his spear against three hundred men and killed them and won a name beside the three. He was the most renowned of the thirty and became their commander, but he did not attain to the three. And Benaiah, the son of Joadiah, was a valiant man of Kabzeel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two aerials of Moab. He also went down and struck a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. And he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benaiah went down with a staff, snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. These things did Benaiah, the son of Joadiah, and won a name beside 
the three mighty men, and he was renowned among the thirty, but he did not attain to the three, and David set him over his bodyguard. We'll stop right there for the time being. So I need full participation and interaction with this message today. So let's start by you helping with, with my title. Everybody say, we need, we need men, of valor. men of valor. Let's talk about men of valor this morning for a little bit. Throughout Scripture, there are times that we see a man or we see a group of men described as being men of valor. We were just introduced to a few of them. Gideon was also labeled by God as a man of valor. Joshua, when he took the soldiers in to conquer the promised land, he took with them what was known as men of valor to do the fighting. But what does it mean to have valor? Well, valor by definition is to have courage in the face of danger, especially in battle. It is strength of mind or spirit that enables a person to face danger with firmness. So these men of valor that we find throughout Scripture, they were men of great courage. They were warriors. They didn't back down from a fight, and they didn't let somebody fight in their place. By the numbers, we're told that 18.4 million children live without a father in the home. To make that number more impressive, that's one in four. The result is... Because of that, they're more likely to go to prison. They're more likely to drop out of school. They're more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. They're more likely to face neglect and abuse at the hands of those who care for them. Also, as a result, moms suffer from greater postpartum stress and depression. They have a significantly lower esteem as an individual. They face greater suicide rates. And at times, they are more likely to see their child with a decreased value because of the weight that they have of carrying that responsibility on their own, where they no longer see their child as a blessing, they see it as a burden. All as a result of fathers not being evident in their home. Our world suffers from men not being men. But you know, the problem isn't just in our world. It's in our churches too. Why are moms bringing their families to church while dad sleeps in? Why are discipleship groups and ministry opportunities dominated by women in participation? We can have a women's ministry event at this church and wonder if we'll have enough tables and chairs. We can have a men's ministry event and just pray to God somebody shows up. Now, men, I'm not trying to, to just beat you down this morning. This is going to be an encouraging but challenging message, but I'm hoping that through this we can step up a little bit and see the necessity that there is for men to be men, especially within our church. Why do women... Why do women going out on the mission field significantly outnumber men? Right now the ratio is two to one. Women going on the mission field to men. Our mission stats within our convention tell us that 80 to 85% of single missionaries are women. Why is that the case? I think it's because there's a severe lack of men of God who desire to live as men of valor. So I want us to look at and challenge ourselves with these characteristics that this kind of man 
should own. And like I said earlier, for each and every one of you here, this is a message for us all, not just for the dads, but for men. Not just for the men, but for you women as well, as you're going to have a significant role to play in encouraging our men to be this kind of a man. So let's look at some characteristics of men of valor. Men of valor are strong warriors. These guys just flat out whooped. They were fierce warriors that you just didn't mess with. So we'll go back to the beginning of chapter 23. We started in verse 8. So we're going to shorten his name because y'all don't know how many times I practiced this over the past few weeks. So I didn't come in here and flub it up. But we're just going to call him Josh. <laughs> Josh struck down 800 men by himself. I can't even fathom that. It almost seems, well, it doesn't almost, it does seem unimaginable that one man could have such might, that one man could have such strength, that one man could be so amazingly skilled in war that he would strike down 800 men by himself, but that's what he did. Next time we have Eleazar, who were told beat down on the Philistine army when the rest of Israel's army ran off. So they're in the middle of battle. Eleazar's at the front line, and he's battling with the Philistines. The rest of Israel get scared and they turn around and run off and he's standing there by himself. So what does he do? He continues to fight. He ends up beating the Philistine army by himself and all of his other comrades ran off and left him there. In the same sense, Shammah did the same thing. He defeated a garrison of Philistines for some land of very valuable beans, apparently, that he didn't want to give up. And he whipped the Philistines and held his ground all by himself when everybody else retreated. And then there's these other three guys who we're not sure exactly who they are. I personally like to think they're the three guys that we just mentioned, but we don't know for sure. They banded together to go and get David a glass of water when he got thirsty one time. And then we have these other guys who want a name for themselves alongside the three. Abishai struck down 300 by himself. Benaiah whipped some Moabs, killed a lion in the snow, I don't even wonder why God gives us some details in Scripture and yet leaves out others. Like, there are so many other areas in Scripture where I wish we had a few more details, and yet we need to know this guy killed the lion in the snow. He killed the lion in the snow, and also apparently he beat up an Egyptian guy who was handsome. <laughs> the fact is, these guys were warriors. They had a fortitude about them, and they had a fight within them. They were strong physically, but they were also strong mentally and spiritually. They fought with such courage. They fought with such strength because they trusted in the Word of God and His promises to be with them. Man, it's time, I think, that we got our strength back. We've become weak in a lot of ways and in a lot of areas. And you know, I think one reason why Satan attacks families and churches with such effectiveness is because there are no warriors standing in his way. We see so many families fall. We see so many churches fall at the hands and the schemes of the devil so easily it seems like. And I'm convinced it's because there's no warriors standing in his way anymore. When he looks at a family and he sees a weak, weak man, when he looks at a church and he sees weak men in leadership, it's just an easy victory for him to win. 
That's an easy battle for him to fight. So, men, I think it's time that we get our strength back because we've become weak in a lot of ways. And because of that, Satan is a lot more effective in attacking and tearing down families. He's a lot more effective in attacking and tearing down churches because we have lost our fight. We've lost our warrior mentality to where we no longer stand in the doorway and challenge when he comes with an attack. Sometimes, men, you've got to fight for your family. Sometimes, men, you've got to fight for your marriage. And I'm not talking about just when your marriage gets in trouble. I'm talking about to keep it from getting in trouble. Me and my wife have a great marriage. We're nowhere close to walking out on each other. But it's not because day in and day out, I don't stand at the door and fight when Satan tempts me with something I don't need to get into. We've got to get our warrior mentality back within us. We've got to get some strength back within us. Sometimes, men, we've got to stand up and fight for this body of believers right here. Our church has had its share of ups and downs. Our church has had its share of battles along the way, especially over the past 7, 8, 9, 10 years. So much easier it is to just walk away and leave it than it is to stand and fight for it. But it's time for us to get back in the fight. It's time for us to stand up and be strong warriors again. Who, when Satan knows he's going to come against our family, he's going to come against this church, is not going to be done so in an easy manner. Now, I understand we're not talking about grabbing swords and spears like these guys. Obviously, and I'm not even talking about that kind of fighting. I'm saying, where are the men who are warriors with the word? Where are the men who are warriors in prayer and fasting? Where are our men who will take up spiritual weapons that have divine power? to tear down strongholds and fight. It's time we strengthen ourselves, men, and be the warriors that God has created us to be for his honor once again. Men of valor also carry a boldness about them. And so we have this narrative of these three men who served under David's command. And David one day speaks out about how he desires a drink from a well in Bethlehem. He wants a taste of home, in other words. Now, I couldn't really relate to this except in one way. When I was at UNA playing baseball, I went one summer and played in a summer league in Colorado. And you know what they don't have in Colorado? Sweet tea. Somebody knew it already. (laughs) You know what I couldn't wait to have when I got back home? Sweet tea. Some things just taste like home. And nothing else beats that. David and his men, they're in war against the Philistines, and they've been driven out of their land. And David says, man, I just really, 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 really would like a taste of home. And he speaks this out. And these men hear that. But the problem is Israelites' homeland is now occupied by Philistine control. Their home, as well as the location of this well, is now far in to enemy territory. And yet when these guys heard the desire of their king, we're told that they broke through the Philistine camp, battled their way all the way to that well, lowered the bucket down to the bottom of it, raised it back up, scooped out a glass, took it back to David. (coughs) Men of valor are bold. Think about the boldness that it took for these guys to go into enemy territory. I think sometimes just because we have it in words on paper, we lose the context of the story. 
and what it took for these men to do what it was that they did. Imagine going into enemy territory. I mean, they've lost the ground. Like, they've taken the forts. They've raised the Philistine flag. There is no Israel left in this place. And yet these guys here, David, say, I want to drink a water. And they decide, we're going we're gonna to break through the Philistine camp. We're going to go and get David a glass of water out of that well. Three of them against an entire Philistine encampment. Think of the boldness that it took for them to go and do that. They knew it was risky. They knew they might not come back. But they determined to go. <coughs> to give their all to fulfill David's desires. This is the kind of boldness. I desire to see evident in the lives of us men once again. Why? Because do we not also have a king with desires? Do we not also serve a king with desires? Desires that the gospel be proclaimed? Desires that disciples be made? Desires that we live set apart, desires that his kingdom be built. Man, we need to get bold in our workplaces again. We need to get some boldness back in our homes. We need boldness in our actions. We need boldness in our conversations for Jesus. These guys went into enemy ground. Gideon, when he was battling against Midianite oppression, took his army and went into enemy ground. Joshua, when he got his men of valor together, crossed the Jordan into the promised land, but was going into enemy ground. So let me show you what this taught me over the past few weeks. Show me this, that number one, a coward surrenders ground. A man stands ground, but a man of valor gains ground. In boldness, men... We should be leading the charge into enemy territory, gaining ground for the name of Jesus. And so my prayer is that God would once again make us bold because we've lost so much of our boldness. We should be on the front lines, leading the charge, breaking through the enemy's encampment because our king has a desire for his kingdom. And how much more is the desires of our King Jesus greater than David's desire for a glass of water? So much greater. So much more the boldness we should have to go and fulfill his desires for our lives, for the expansion of his kingdom. So men of valor carry a boldness about them. Men of valor also own a servant's heart. Being a man of valor isn't merely about the brute and brawn. So don't think, guys, that after this is over with, you can go and reactivate your gym membership, do a few curls, hit the bench press a little bit, and then be a man of valor. Because it's so much more than just the brute and the bronze, so much more than just the physical strength. Men of valor serve. Now, I don't know if you notice in the account of this narrative or not, but David didn't command these men to go and get him a drink from that place. He didn't walk up to these guys and say, hey, you three, come here. I'm thirsty. There is a well in Bethlehem, and I need you to go and get me a drink out of that well. He never commanded them to do such a thing. He merely made the statement out loud, and these men overheard him say it. And they took it upon themselves to go and get for their king 
what he wanted and what he desired. So without being told or asked, they went and they got it. They had this willing to do whatever was needed mentality. And out of all the things that these men did and accomplished, their servanthood is what impacted David more than anything else. <coughs> so much so that when they got back, he took the glass of water that they had brought to him and he poured it out. <laughs> Which I thought was a pretty brash thing for David to do the first time I looked at him. Man, these guys just risked their lives for you to have this water and as soon as they get back with it, you dump it out on the ground in front of them. Like, I don't know if I would have done that in front of these guys because they're pretty hardcore. Like, I would be afraid of what they would do to me if I was to pour out the water that they just went and risked their lives after. But the more I began to to dig into it, the more I began to study, the more I began to realize the significance of David's actions and what he was saying in so pouring out that glass of water when they brought it to him. He was essentially saying, I'm not worthy of this. I'm not worthy to be served in this way. And so when he took that glass of water that these guys had brought to him and he poured them out, he's saying, God, here's a drink offering to you. You deserve this gift. Because these guys have served you in this way. You know what drink offerings in the Old Testament were symbolic of? They were symbolic of one pouring their life out on the altar to God. Saying, here's my life, God. Take it and I empty it of myself so that you can fill it with all of you. And use me as you desire for whatever you desire. As long as I live here on this face of the earth. So these men were essentially saying... Here's our lives. Take it and use it as you please. They are not our own. We exist to serve. So let me ask you something, man. What is your initial reaction when someone asks you to serve in some capacity? Because I found that a lot of times our responses mirror our reactions. And so when someone comes up and asks to serve, if your initial reaction is kind of just like, ah, well, let me check my calendar. Let me see if I got time. Let me see if I got anything else going on that weekend and I'll get back with you. Most of the time, your response is going to mirror your reaction. If your reaction is, ah, then your response is probably going to be no. And yet, we could ask a group of women to serve in an event and there would be no checking of the calendars. There would be no let me get back with you. It would only be absolutely. What can we do? What time do you need us there? Come on, guys. Really? Men of valor? They serve. They lay their lives out on the altar. And say, God, take me up and do whatever it is that you desire with me. There's a funny coincidence in the New Testament that I think further accelerates and accentuates the point. And it's that in almost every instance in which we see Jesus exemplifying and teaching servanthood, his audience is men. You ever noticed? Why? I think because Jesus knew we're the least to do it. When we should be the chiefs of it. What would homes, what would churches look like, men, if we became chief servants, the kind who just did without being asked? 
The kind who just took it upon themselves to pick up that piece of trash that you walk by in the parking lot on the way in here instead of leaving it there. The kind that showed up early to set up the tables and the chairs when we have a fellowship opportunity. The kind that cut the grass when they see that it needs cutting. The kind that will take it upon themselves to paint a door or paint a wall that they see is in bad shape because that's not how we should treat the house of God. The kind who just take it upon themselves to serve in whatever capacity that they see a need in. Who don't have to be asked, hey, will you help? Hey, will you do this? Hey, will you do that? Who just see it and then take initiative and take action and go and do it themselves. David didn't say, go get me the drink of water. They just heard him say it. And they said, this is the desire of our king. Let's go and do it. Man, we need to be those kind of servants. The kind who look around and who know the desires of our king. And instead of him having to ask, instead of him having to beg, instead of him having to plead for us to go and do those things, we just take it upon ourselves to go and do it. Why? Because he desires it. One of the greatest acts a man of valor can perform is to serve. So where's your servant's heart? One other thing, men of valor lead. They lead among their people. And I think to know that men of valor lead goes without saying. More than likely, that's understood by most of us. God has ordained that men carry a weightier leadership role. So follow this with me because I think it's worth saying. That doesn't mean we domineer men. Men of valor, in their leadership, they don't domineer, they demonstrate. Men who are good leaders within their home, men who are good leaders within the church, they do not assert their will. They demonstrate God's will. That means, ultimately, men, we are to lead by example. So Paul, when he was speaking to Timothy, his protege, he says this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 12, says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders lay their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. We are to be setting these kinds of examples, men, leading out in conduct, leading out in love, leading out in faith, leading out in purity, leading out in our devotion to the Word, leading out in our devotion and prayer. Because men, if I have to be honest, we are seriously underperforming in our leadership roles, particularly in faith aspects. Barna recently just did some research on leadership roles within the family. And they interviewed a group of Gen Zers, which is the generation after me, and they asked them a series of questions pertaining to who do you go to to ask blank within your family. And they gave them the option of saying either mother, father, grandmother, grandfather, sibling, and they could answer more than one if they needed to or if they found that to be true in the questions they were asking. So listen, I picked out some of the spiritual questions that they ask these young people about their family. So they ask them, who do you talk to about God and faith? 70% said mom, 58% said dad. Who do you pray with? 63% said mom, 51% said dad. They asked them, who do you ask advice from? 98% said mom, 62% said dad. 
Who do you go to with questions about faith? 90% mom, 70% dad. Who do you discuss the Bible with? 90% mom, 75% dad. Who encourages church attendance? 99% mom, 80% dad. Who teaches you the Bible? 78% mom, 62% dad. Thank you, God, for godly women and mothers. But the disparity in these gaps has to be closed, man. Men and women within the homes, within the church, are all called to be leaders spiritually in our adulthood. But this gap, man, is too wide. Way too wide. We need to be leading better. For these men, it started with three. But if you go down and look in verse 24, It says, Asahel, the brother of Joab, was one of the 30. It started with three, but it turned into 30. Man, this is the kind of leadership that we are to enact within our homes and within our churches. It may start with just a few of us, but it can turn into a lot of us. Three turned into 30. Why? Just because of the example these guys set. Because they trained up other guys. Because of the life that they were leading, it led younger men to come up to them and say, how can I be a man like you're a man? And they said, well, I'll tell you what. Here's a training program. Come and follow along. Come and follow in my footsteps. I will teach you what it looks like to be a man of valor. I will teach you what it looks like to be a man of God. That's the kind of men we need to be within this church, guys. Our students left this morning on a mission trip to New Orleans. Those young boys need to see grown men be men of valor. They need to see men of God living their lives out in such a way that they are unashamed of the gospel, they are unashamed of Christ and what he has done in their life, and they are unashamed to live it out in front of anybody and everybody that asks. Men of valor lead among their people. One last thing. Men of valor prefer humility over recognition. These men never once asked to be recognized for the things that they did. They never sought out the spotlight. They didn't want parades in their honor. They didn't want payments made to their name. They just wanted to honor their king and their people. As a matter of fact, a good example of this is seen in Gideon's life. When after Gideon took his people and led them to victory over the Midianites, the people were just overwhelmingly excited because that oppression was coming to an end. And you need to understand that when the Midians oppressed Israel, they did so in a very violent, horrific way. And so for them to now have freedom and victory over these people was a big deal to them. And Gideon was instrumental in leading them to that point. So after they had received this victory, they come up to Gideon and they say this in Judges chapter 8 and verse 22. It says, And the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Listen to what Gideon says. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. I didn't give you this victory. I didn't do any of this for you. Our God did this. 
And he did it through me. But it wasn't me. True men of valor don't receive praise. They redirect praise. They don't take it upon themselves when God does a great and mighty work through them. They redirect it right back onto God every single time. So quick to acknowledge His work and His doing and His power and His might instead of taking it upon themselves. And so this is how I want to finish up this morning. To you women, you, you moms, thank you. Keep leading in the ways in which you are because it is impactful. But I want to ask you this morning to push us as men. I want to ask you this morning to pray for us as men. To go to God and ask that he would raise up men of valor within homes and within churches. You know, so many times we see the disciples just get out of whack and out of sorts while Jesus was on the earth and even after he had ascended into heaven. And every single time, it seems like there was a woman or a group of women close by to kind of reel them back in. So many times I've heard throughout my life, they say behind every man is a great woman. I say beside every man is a great woman. Pushing him, encouraging him, supporting him to be the man of God that she knows he has called him to be. So I'm going to ask you women to pray, 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 pray that God would raise up these kind of men. To our men, I want to say this, it's time to step up. It's time to acknowledge the challenge and receive it and not back down from it. It's time for us to once again be men of valor, to once again be men of God who are strong, who are bold, who serve and who lead with humility. To exemplify those kind of characteristics with our life. This is Doug Ferris, and I'm blessed to be the pastor here at Underwood Baptist Church. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. It's our prayer that you'll do more than listen to the sermon or gather religious information. We want you to encounter God, and we pray that He will impact your life. If you'd like to contact us for any reason, please go to our website at underwoodbaptist.org. All our contact information is there, and we look forward to hearing from you. I hope you are blessed by today's message.